Welcome to selfdiscoveryradio.com where the orchard of wisdom is just ready for picking. We celebrate your why, the journey that you've taken that inspires someone else. We support your services. We support your story. Come and be our guest. Become a host. Be an author with us. Come see what we've got. Our next show is... Welcome to the Wellness Journey podcast series, and I am particularly excited about this series. We are talking about midlife strategies for full life living. And it's my philosophy that by the time we reach midlife, whether you're approaching 40 or you're well into your 40s, or in my case, getting ready to be over 60, 61, regardless of where you are in your life, once you get into the midlife arena, you have lived some things. You've gone through some things. You have survived some things. And today what we're going to be talking about is survival. Not only the fact that you survived, but how to thrive after your survival, how to survive the surviving peace, and how to still have hope and to move forward. We have with us today Tammy Denise, and she has, uh, I should say Reverend Tam Denise, uh, she has a remarkable story, and she's just written a book, and I think the name of the book kind of says it all in terms of what we're going to be talking about today. The name of the book that she's just written is called The Power of Hope, and uh, Reverend Tammy Denise was born and raised in Minneapolis. She now lives in Sacramento, California, and she is the CEO, ordained minister, she's a coach, she's an international speaker, and now a best-selling author. She has gone through the events of trauma and loss. And she has learned how to thrive and survive and still have hope. And that's what she writes about in her book. And it's wonderful uh, to have her uh, here today. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you so much, Linus, for having me. It's uh, my pleasure to be here. Well, you know, I was reading uh, your bio and reading bits of your book that I did purchase a couple of weeks ago. First of all, the book is a very fast read and it is poignant. The first five minutes I was riveted in terms of your transparency and in terms of the message throughout the book of hope regardless of the circumstances. But if you could please share with our listeners why you decided to write this book. Um, absolutely. I wrote the book um, after 2013, which I call um, my year of losses. Mm -hmm. I, I lost my sister, I lost my dad, and I lost my son mm -hmm. all in the span of six months. Oh and, um, you know, any one of those tragedies would have been enough to send anyone into a tailspin, but having three significant people in my life die um, within a short period of time, it just wiped me out. And I had to make a choice as to whether or not I was going to live in grief the rest of my life and allow that to just take me out. You know, I spent my days weeping and mm -hmm. eating things that were not good for me, that were not nourishing to my body, even though it was comfort food, you know, right. and it did the trick right, right then. But, you know, in the long run, I was just harming myself. And I, I knew that there was so much life still left up ahead that I wanted to be an active participant in my own life. Yes. So I got back up. And of course, over the course of, you know, these past four, um, approaching five years, I 
have encountered numerous women who also have lost children or loved ones or face some kind of tragedy in their life that threatens to paralyze them. And so I wanted to share with them um, how my strategies on how I got back up. And, you know, not only did you survive all those tragedies, but prior to that, uh, you had breast cancer. In fact, you're a 13-year breast cancer survivor and have been working with cancer patients and uh, families to help them through that trauma. How did that experience in terms of surviving cancer and helping others help you with what you went through with the loss of your sister, your father, and your son? You know, Linus, it's quite interesting because um, it, it's one of those situations while, where, yes, it was another trauma and a tragedy and it taught me some things, but on the other hand, Linus, it really was two totally different experiences. Um, breast cancer, I was, you know, 12 years younger. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, you know, I was a, in a different phase in my life. You know, I was 39 when I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And at 39, I still felt invincible. I still felt like, you know, the world was my oyster and I mm -hmm. could grab anything at it. So I approached breast cancer with a very different zest and a different um, uh, passion around survivorship. Mm -hmm. um, however, when it came to you know, lose, when I lost my sister, I still had a little bit of that zest in me, mm -hmm. um, you know, with, with that I did with breast cancer. Then when I lost my dad, I actually had also had a major back surgery. I had a spinal fusion. And so I was in the hospital. I was in rehab when I found out that, you know, my dad had passed. Mm -hmm. So add to those losses, you know, that major surgery, and so, you know, slowly but surely, a little bit more of me was being taken down every step of the way. Mm -hmm. So by the time I learned that my son had been murdered, I was just wiped out. So there wasn't a major connection between how I got back up um, mm -hmm. with breast cancer and then how I got back up um, after, you know, this, this tragedy. Probably the connection would be knowing that in the end, I wanted to be a vessel to help someone else. Well, I think the thing that is just so amazing to me, because I have, I have experienced one great loss in my life, and that was with my mother when she was killed unexpectedly by a fire truck. And at the time, she was only 56. And it changed the total trajectory of my life. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm doing what I'm doing now, uh, ultimately, because of that. I developed an anxiety disorder many years later, and mm -hmm. I wanted to figure out how to heal holistically, got into mm -hmm. the whole wellness thing, left my corporate job, and you know, formed this company, and here I am nine years later. Had that not happened, um, I don't think I would have taken that and I know that um, I was preordained and destined to do what I'm doing right now. I know that now, but it's been mm -hmm. quite a journey. My mom died 30 years ago to get mm -hmm. to this point. When you take a look at um, how these losses, um, how have they changed the trajectory of your life in terms yes. of what you're doing now? Absolutely. Um, yeah, you know, like I said, when I 
when I was diagnosed with breast cancer, um, it changed the trajectory of my life then Mm -hmm. because I went from corporate then to um, establishing my nonprofit with my sister. She Mm -hmm. and I co-founded Carrie's Touch. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we established the nonprofit then. And so I've been in the breast cancer world for the past, you know, 14 years. I am heavily entrenched in that line of work. Mm -hmm. And so now to come on this side of it to deal with trauma um, in this capacity and, and loss and specifically gun loss, um, mm-hmm. uh, gun violence, um, it's still taking shape. I am feeling a, a particular call to mothers who have lost their children to gun mm-hmm. violence mm-hmm. as a result of this because out of all of the losses, I still had a handle on hope. I still could see the light at the end of the tunnel. But when I lost my son, that just took the air out of me. And so I'm feeling this call to help mothers regain their breath, you know, to, to give them back their air so that they can breathe and find hope again. On May 6th, I am hosting mothers who have lost children to gun violence. And it's going to be a unique um, experience. You know, we're, I'm calling it a gathering. Some mm-hmm. people might call it a brunch. But what it is is an opportunity for mothers who have lost their children to gun violence to come together and to lament, to mm. just weep and wail and really be in a safe Place among other women who understand. But by the end of the event, the hope is that we will be able to find celebration in the release yes. and the newfound community of support. So that's where we're going. And, and that's beautiful. And for those of you, uh, that's in Sacramento, California. For those of you who are listening that happen to be local in Sacramento, uh, this recording is going to be heard all around the world, but I'm, I'm sure that there are many who will be listening to this who have lost children, uh, maybe to gun violence, lost loved ones, have survived cancer. Uh, they're survivors because the average uh, listener to this um, particular um, uh, show happens to be between the ages of 45 and 54. Given mm-hmm. that, why do you think at our stage of midlife, why do you think it's important for us to be able to go through a process of survival in a way where they come out the other end uh, encouraged and hopeful? Um, absolutely, because the you know our lifespan and our life expectancy is we still have a lot of life ahead of us. Yes, you know the saying that says you know I've got more life behind me than I do in front of me. But that doesn't mean that you're dead. And if you still have another 30 years in front of you, that's a lot of life to live, you know, um, in a space, in a dark space, just waiting to die. You know, unfortunately, I I know people like that Mm -hmm. who feel like this this traumatic um, incident has happened to them. And ultimately, they just want to give up on life. And none of us knows when God is going to call us home. You know, my faith tradition is Christian, and I believe Mm -hmm. that God is the giver and taker of life. So if 
God tells me at um, 50 that I still have another 40 years, that's a lot of impact lot, that I can yes. have in the world. So I think that it's important to help women, help mothers reset and embrace what is before them. I don't know what my life is going to look like in the next year. I definitely mm -hmm. don't know what it'll look like in the next five years or 10 years. But just like you just said, you know, it's taking you nine years. Well, really, 30 years to get to where you are now. Mm -hmm. But now you're, you know, I call it, you're in the pocket. You, you know, you're hitting your stride and you're living your life's purpose. Yes. I want women to feel that they can reclaim their life after tragedy. I like that idea of the whole, that whole concept of reclaiming our lives, whether you've suffered a terrible tragedy or tragedies like you have, or whether or not you just have all that emotional baggage of having lived long enough to be in midlife. Some women feel like they can't change. There's mm -hmm. nothing else that they can do, and they're just kind of stuck. They've given bits and pieces of themselves in terms of raising their children, maintaining their marriages, being a great employee, working in their community, being a sibling, being a uh, you know a child, taking care of their parents. All this stuff that we do as women, especially in midlife, of giving of ourselves, they feel like there's just nothing left for them, mm -hmm. and that couldn't be further from the truth. Based mm -hmm. upon the, the strategies you share in your book, what kinds of things do you share with women to encourage them and to tell them that there, there is hope on the other side of the, um, the terrible tragedy that they might have experienced? Yeah, um, so uh, two, two things. I want to just go back just a tad bit mm -hmm. to your listeners who may not be in Sacramento. Mm -hmm. You know, I am going to be presenting this same gathering in different cities throughout the nation. So I'm available if those people that are here, right? I'm available to do this type of gathering work um, in, in churches, in small communities, even if a group of sisters want to get together, you know, I will work with them um, within their budget to, to help promote and bring about that type of healing um, in, in other communities. Um, so, you know, shameless plug. <laughs> no, that's okay. That's important. That's important to know because I know that someone will contact me as right. what normally happens to say, how can I get in touch with this person? Or are they doing this in my area? So that's exactly the reason why I love the internet because you never know. We're all interconnected anyway. And I, I believe that nothing happens uh, by coincidence, that it's all divine. And whoever's listening to this broadcast is listening because God brought them here to listen. Right. And there's a reason why. So I'm glad you mentioned that. Right. And so, so um, the other thing is when, when we talk about the steps uh, in the book, mm -hmm. um, and I don't want to give all of it away. Sure. But, you know, the very, there's six R's that I kind of came up with. Um, but the very first R is rest. So many of us are over exhausted and so deprived of sleep and, and spiritual and emotional and physical and financial rest that we can't see hope because it's this big dark cloud of somebody needs me, especially women in your demographic and 45 to 54, right? Right. Um, we just need to rest. I am coaching a woman now 
who I'm teaching her the first R and that's to rest. And she said, it seems like the more rest I get, the more tired I am. And I said, that's exactly right. And I said, um, you know, it's that situation uh, when, when you start working out, you feel good and then you get to a place and it gets really, really hard. And you're like, well, wait, I've been running. I've been lifting weights or whatever your, your, your um, exercise of choice might be. Right. Mm-hmm. And it gets hard in the middle part of it. And you have to get over that hump because your body has been functioning at this um, deficit for such a long time. It doesn't know what to do when it's actually getting proper rest, eight hours of rest a night, actually mm-hmm. taking time during the day to reset, just do you know, a couple of minutes of deep breathing, just sitting you know, in your chair. Or when you get home, I, you know, I tell people all the time, I'm a car sitter. <laughs> and I'm a car sitter because I have to reset before I go into my next situation. And sometimes mm-hmm. that next situation is going into home and I'm an empty nester. Mm-hmm. But at, inside the house, there's laundry waiting. There's, Hi. you know, something else waiting for me that needs me. And so just taking that time to get present with yourself and to release, you know, whatever you brought with you to that particular space. So rest is critical. I'm glad you mentioned that. I'm glad you mentioned that because my experience with grief has been that it seems almost impossible to rest. And also my Mm -hmm. experience of being a a mother raising four girls and, you Mm -hmm. know, being in corporate America, married and everything else, I would feel guilty Mm -hmm. about resting because I felt like I needed to, uh, you know, be doing something that my validation of myself in terms of who I, how I defined myself wasn't complete if I wasn't busy doing something. But I really feel like as we approach midlife that we need to learn that it's okay to rest, you know, rest in terms of sleep, as you're saying, but also rest from toxic relationships, rest Mm -hmm. sometimes from our adult children, Mm -hmm. rest from constantly going and never stopping. It's okay to take Mm -hmm. that space and just rest. Oh, absolutely. And I say in my book, give yourself permission Mm. to be an active participant in your own healing. Mm. And the way that you become an active participant is you give yourself permission. And you said adult children, and I still say even young children, you know, (laughs) uh, seriously, because Mm -hmm. sometimes you don't want to come home and you don't want to make dinner. One of my children's favorite dinner nights was we called it create your own and that meant anything in the refrigerator or in the cabinets that you can reach you can have for dinner. I heard that girl <laughs> I heard that 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 brings to mind such a funny memory I, I remember so well and my girlfriend still tease me about this I would literally come home and prepare dinner and help with homework and run baths and get the kids dressed. And I would still have them on my heels Mm -hmm. and my suit jacket on sometimes. And Mm -hmm. it wouldn't be until like 10 o'clock at night that I would actually undress myself. That was crazy. But in the back of my mind, I was telling myself, this is the definition of being a good mom. Mm -hmm. You know, not resting, not even stopping to take off my jacket or my heels Mm -hmm. to service my children. Mm -hmm. And it was crazy. And I finally realized once I left corporate America that one of the first things that I was going to do was to take off my heels, literally Mm. and figuratively. 
Mm -hmm. uh, take off mm -hmm. that expectation of what I was supposed to be like and mm -hmm. then instead begin to try to discover who I really was or who I really am because I was all these different roles that I kind of lost myself. Absolutely, absolutely. And that is exactly what I teach moms um, on a regular basis that you have to take time for you. You know, one of our favorite activities, I had boys, so, you know, I, it wasn't, this didn't actually always work out because they had a lot more energy than my daughter did. But one of our favorite activities was to, they wanted to all get in bed with mom. You know, I was a single mom, mm -hmm. so they wanted to all get in bed with mom and, you know, depending on whose turn it was, they got to select what it was we'd watch on TV and we could eat snacks in bed. But sometimes you need that mental rest and you don't have it in you to keep on your heels and your suit jacket after work. What if you've had one of those trying days at work and you just have nothing left? for home. So I decided, let me figure out ways that I can show them love. Mm -hmm. So I'm not snapping at them mm -hmm. because of my day. And because I didn't know how to take care of myself then. So bringing that back. Go ahead. I was going to say, I think that's a beautiful sentiment that a lot of women don't really give them per themselves permission to think about. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think it's real dangerous when we start having our validation be in our children, our validation be Absolutely. things that are outside ourselves. When you were writing the book, what were you thinking that you wanted women to take away? What kinds of things did you want them to learn from your book? One of the things that I wanted them to learn, we've already discussed, and it's that it's okay to grieve. It's okay to not keep up with the Joneses or the status quo. It's also okay to ask for help and to receive help. You know, receive is another one of the R's. I think the biggest thing that women, um, especially women of color, and I know your listeners are from all backgrounds and, and many will relate who you know may not be a woman of color and then women of color may not relate but in general women of color don't know how to ask for what they want or what they need and then receive it mm. we'll have the conversation I wish I had this or I wish I had someone to you know help me in that regard mm -hmm. and when I was going through my trauma and my loss Linus, I couldn't. I just couldn't. I couldn't mm -hmm. anything. You know, I couldn't, I, I couldn't figure out who I was. I couldn't figure out how to get up. I couldn't figure out what to prepare for dinner. I couldn't figure out, you know, even how to get dressed. Mm -hmm. And when, when God put women in my life to come get me, mm -hmm. I had to let them help me. I had to receive their love. I had to not say, oh, no, I don't need this when I really do. How many times have we done it ourselves or we've heard someone who say, I wish, then they get it, then they reject it. Right, right, right. It's true. So it's really receiving that love because 
when we can receive love from ourselves and from others, then we're in the position to be restored. And then once we're restored, we can recreate our new normal. And then after we've recreated our new normal, we do what you, you're doing, Linus. We rise. We rise to the occasion, and then we are able to give back and be the nurturers, nurturers that we are naturally. You know, it's interesting. I feel that part of healing after going through something as horrible as what you've done is to share the story and tell the story Absolutely. instead of keeping it locked up. Uh, sometimes people think that the grief has to be held inside and they're busy being strong around everyone else. But I know from my own experience that God, it's amazing. He sent me people when my mother died that um, to this day, I don't remember all the faces. There were so mm -hmm. many people. Mm -hmm. There was one person in particular that was there who I hadn't seen for a long time, but we grew up together and she was there every single night mm -hmm. for seven days until my mom mm. was in the ground. And then I didn't see her for about two or three years. And it was kind of like an angel. And God does that. It's amazing. Yes. And you're yes. so right about being able to accept what it is that people want to give. Mm -hmm. uh, and you're right. We as people of color, I think women of color, I think sometimes we think it's a weakness to be yes. able to say, I need help, or yes. to be able to be say, oh, no, girl, that's okay, I have this, you know, and, and the reality is you're, 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 you're dying. Inside. You're dying, yeah, yes. and I call it, I call it breaking the superwoman syndrome, and that's mm. part of the, the outreach that I do in, in the breast cancer world. I say breaking the superwoman syndrome of trying to be all things to all people, all the time, perfectly, while suffering in silence. Mm. And suffering in silence is not of God. That's not where God wants us. That's not how God shows up in the Bible. You know, one of the stories, Christian stories that I share in the book is about the woman with the issue of blood. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, my favorite verse in that, it comes in Mark chapter 5. It's verse 34. It's the final verse. Um, and that's kind of where many of the R's are come from, you know, is in her story. But the final one, he says, um, go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Mm -hmm. But it was after she came and she told Jesus everything. She got, you know, she was able to get that release that she needed so that she could have a new life. Yes. And, and that's what our women have to release themselves from. That's why I keep saying you have to give yourself permission to be an active participant in your own healing. Yes, that is so true. And what kind of encouragement can you give to women? Because the healing is just like anything else. Mm -hmm. At first, initially, it is painful. And you're in so much pain that mm -hmm. it's difficult to see that healing is actually taking place. And then over time, mm -hmm. you might see a scab that comes. And then that itch is mm -hmm. uncomfortable. And sometimes you, uh, you know, scratch it off. And then the healing starts all over again. Mm -hmm. So what is the first step? of getting to the other side of that pain? You know, it, again, getting to that first side is in this particular book and, mm -hmm. and how we lay it out, it's, it's getting to rest, then it's release, then it's recover, then it's restore, recreate, 
and rise. And you have to go through those steps. Some of the part with rest is really just stopping because grief is real. Mm. Get some help. Therapy is okay. It doesn't mean you're crazy. It means that you're healthy. Yes. I, you know, therapy for probably the first six months, I had no words for my therapist. I would just go sit in her office mm. for 50 minutes and just weep. Mm. But I was in a safe place. It was cleansing tears. It was tears from my core. I trusted her to hold space for me and allow me to get all of that out. If we go back to, you know, cancer, the cancer side of it, um, you know, cancer is in our bodies. And no matter what, no matter what route you take for your treatment, your treatment plan, quite often the very first step is surgery. You've got to get the cancer out before you can do any type of um, aid or ointment or chemotherapy or holistic you know, treatments or whatever mm -hmm. route a person takes. They have to remove the cancer. Mm -hmm. And that's the same thing with the grief. You have to allow, like you said, you have to allow the grief to happen. And so it's being okay just sitting in the discomfort of those tears. And grief and healing, okay, I'm almost five years out from, you know, when my sister passed um, in 2013, right? There are moments that I am really, really strong, and there are moments that I am back in the bed. And I have to give myself space to be present with where I am and what I'm feeling. You know, I wouldn't have those feelings if these people didn't mean that much to me. Of course. So it's just give, being, being present with where you are and knowing that wherever you are, it's okay. And you know, there be here. I should be. blueprints. Some people, you know, my prayer is that my book will help, you know, thousands of people around the world, but it may only help one. Hmm. And that I have done my job. And that's okay. And you know, I was going to say something else about the, the pain piece. I found that the reason why I had developed an anxiety disorder was because I was working so hard not to feel the pain. Mm -hmm. And I've learned that when you were going through a trauma of some kind that elicits um, a response that um, involves pain, you have to have the courage to lean into it, to mm -hmm. allow yourself mm -hmm. to Feel it because yeah. trying not to feel it just stores up in your emotional closet and for me how that exhibited itself is that one day I just had a breakdown couldn't stop crying and it was all the accumulation of occurrences that had happened up to that point and I couldn't I could not close the closet I couldn't put one more thing in that emotional closet not one more yeah. thing and yeah. it just burst you know and a hard thing about that is that a lot of people they don't know that they're there until they're there. Mm -hmm. 
which is why I say you have to get some help. You've got to get some therapy. You've got to let someone help you guide, guide you through it because you don't know it. I mean, we function in that, that vein of being superwoman, which means we don't need anybody. We can, we can bring home the bacon. We can fry it up in the pan. We can work 12 hours and we can still, you know, take care of our, our, our husband mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then meet the girlfriend who's, you know, stressed out and we can be everything to her. And at the end of the night, we are balled up in a corner, afraid to let anybody else see us cry. Right. We've got to reach out and let someone else um, join us on the journey because God has put people on the journey to help us. What does hope mean to you? <laughs> I, I laugh because um, that's the one question that trumps me every single time because it's evolving. It continues to evolve for me. And I think if I can say anything to someone is that hope is not stagnant. Hope is so fluid. It, it, in some spaces, hope is having someone come and make dinner for me. In other places, hope is having someone hold my hand. In another place, hope is like I, you know, was talking to my therapist earlier this week. You know, she said, I wish that I could just come get in bed with you and just be. Because I, you know, had attended a conference that brought up a lot of emotions around, you know, my traumas and my loss. I just want to put mm -hmm. that in context for your listeners, mm -hmm. but you know, I, you know, but I set up those safeguards. I knew I was attending this, this conference that would be a trigger on Monday and Tuesday. And for yesterday night, I, she was already scheduled, mm. you know, to help me. So sometimes that's what hope looks like, but hope is the opportunity to have a different experience other than the one I'm having now. Mm, yes. All by my choice. Yes. And it's all my choice. I get to choose it. I love that idea of because why not choose hope? Who wants to choose misery? Why not choose mm -hmm. hope? Yeah. Yeah. And it is a choice. And it's interesting. I've exactly. I've never heard anybody put it quite that way because it is a choice. We can truly choose how we mm -hmm. want to go through this life. We really can. Mm -hmm. God has given us yeah. the choice. He gave us free will yeah. uh, to make choices yeah. in our lives. And one of them could be to choose hope. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and Linus, a lot of people, you know, mm -hmm. could say, especially people who have experienced trauma and tragedy, they could say, well, no, I can't choose it because this happened to me. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, and I, push back and say, yes, that happened to you. And now what will you do with it? Mm. Because you, it, it happened to you and you could choose to let it continue to happen to you, or you can choose a better direction for you. And I, each person gets to define what a better direction looks like. Yes. Yes. For people who want to get your book, uh, where do they go? What's the best place to purchase your book? The best place to purchase my 
book, and this is so exciting to say, is on Amazon. Yes. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um, yeah, you know, it's, it's a little surreal still, um, but Amazon, just go to Amazon.com. You can pop in my name, T-A-M-M-I-E-D-E-N-Y-S-E, or you can pop in the title, The Power of Hope, Reclaiming Your Life After Tragedy. And yes, and I'm, I'm looking at it right now. Powerful uh, cover, powerful message. And, you know, you are a powerful woman, and I am so pleased and honored to know you. And thank you so much for being on the Wellness Journey podcast series. It's just been really a blessing to have you. Thank you so much for having me, Linus. It's been a joy to be here. And thank you to all the listeners. You know how important you are to me that you take some time out of your busy schedules to listen to these powerful messages uh, from women who are all experts in different parts of the field of wellness for your mind, body, and spirit. And as we continue through this uh, series of midlife strategies for full life living, we're going to continue to have wonderful women and men who will speak into your lives about the kinds of things that you need to be thinking about along your journey to wellness for your mind, body, and spirit. Thanks so much for joining us, and we will see you again next time. For more wonderful shows like this, please go to selfdiscoveryradio.com, podcasts and see our lineup. And if you wish to support us, we have a funded button. Please stay tuned for our next show.